Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Chris O'Neill, Chief Business Officer at Glean. In this episode, we talked about how joining Google and being around great mentors helped Chris with his career track and where he is today. Chris then shares what you need to get started as a leader to set yourself up for success in the long run. We also discussed the importance of alignment, clarity, and cohesion across a team and how to achieve it, followed by examples of how Google, Slack, and Evernote successfully put their vision statements to use with clarity. Finally, Chris explains what Glean is and what his role as CBO includes. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. I'm thrilled to be here. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Chris is the Chief Business Officer at Glean, an intuitive worker system that puts company knowledge at employees' fingertips. It searches across all of your apps to help you find exactly what you need and uncover the things you should know or people who can help. Uh, Chris is also currently a senior advisor at Sagard Portage Ventures, founder of Bob Kagan Capital, and board member at Gap Inc. Prior to Glean, Chris served as the president and CEO at Evernote, global business operations for Google X, and managing director for Google Canada. So my first question for you, Chris, is how did you land your internship at Wine.com, and what were your responsibilities there? <laughs> Are you going way back in time? It's, a, it's an interesting story. So I've, I enjoy wine. Uh, and I was I was at graduate school in uh, in Dartmouth uh, Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, and it was very interesting. I was starting to think about what I wanted to do for the summer, and there was a reunion. I can't remember what year it was, but they cluster them. And the founder of Wine uh, Wine Shopper, it was called at the time, um, an awesome entrepreneur named Peter Sisson, was was back for his reunion. He had went to Dartmouth College as well, and it was over some wine. Uh, he had just raised some money from Kleiner Perkins. It was the hot thing back in you know 1999. It was in the fall of 99. I'm dating myself, but I'd convinced him that he needed an intern <laughs> to basically help him uh, spend this new money that, that that Kleiner Perkins had done. So, you know, amazing, amazing entrepreneur, uh, an amazing concept that was you know like many things a little bit ahead of its time. Uh, but but a fantastic fantastic experience nonetheless. I I came out uh, in the summer of 2000, which, you know, for those of you who were around the dot com meltdown, it was basically the difference between the fall of '99 and the summer of 2000 was stark to say the least. So 
um, suffice to say, I drank a lot of wine that summer and had a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting place to start. So thanks Very for asking. Cool. What was it that convinced him to hire you as an intern just coming out of uni? Uh, what was the one thing that like hooked? I don't, I don't know. I, I maybe you need persistence and like, you know, uh, you know, some, some, uh, and, and to stick to it in this, I, I never really asked Peter, um, and this other guy, Rick, who uh, eventually hired me. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but looking obviously at your career track so far, I think like it's definitely, there's some magic there as well. And um, looking at some of the places that you've worked, I mentioned like CEO at Evernote and uh, Global VisOps at Google X, like throughout your career, um, what would you say would be like one of the most memorable moments you've had? And like one of the moments that got you really, really thinking about your career track and set you off on your trajectory that you went on? Uh, uh, you kind of say all that. Uh, I've been very fortunate to be part of some amazing companies at different, you know, pretty, pretty different times, different contexts, but the common ingredient is always people. Um, and that's right. Yeah, but it's very true. You know, I, 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 if I had, you know, I've had so, I've been very fortunate to have lots of different experiences that have, I think have been memorable and great and, and shaped me in, in interesting ways. And if I had to narrow it to one, um, as we were talking before, Andrew, I, I'm a Canadian, I'm born and raised in Canada. And I've been very fortunate to join Google in, um, you know, in the middle of the 2000s and, you know, really enjoy enjoying my, my, my career there, just a special company at a special time. And I've been asked to go back to Canada to lead the operations up there many times. And I politely said no for a whole bunch of reasons, right? Mostly because I just enjoyed living in the Bay Area with my then very, very young family. And, you know, and, and I really enjoyed being part of the headquarters of Google at the time. But um, suffice to say, I, I you know, took the advice of some incredible mentors. Um, you know, Patrick Pichette, who was um, a relatively new CFO of Google at the time, and this person named Dennis Woodside, who I think is one of the world's best operators. Um, they encouraged me to, to do this, this, take this journey. And boy, was am I thankful that they did because that was a very formative experience and a very special one to lead a, a company and a brand um, like Google in your homeland, in your home country, was was just an incredible experience. And that was a, a role that took me to the Arctic, where we brought you know the Street View cameras up to uh, to the very far, you know into the Arctic Circle with the Prime Minister of the of the country um, to really think about how technology can play a role. Um, with Inuit population um, at the, at the time, and you know that like I could I could rattle off lots of experiences and memories, but really as a as a career opportunity, a professional opportunity, it really is when I feel like I came into my own as a leader, and I, I had the chance to to really put together an amazing team of people from all over the world, uh, including South Africa, by the way, um, yeah. and it just was a, a formative experience that taught me. You know, how to lead, how to inspire a place, a pride of place in, in a team, you know, and really be a part of a large global organization that, you know, does, does really important things and really helped out Canadians and Canadian small businesses. So if I had to, to pick one, that would be where I would, be where I would, uh, I would pick. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. And I can only imagine what it must have been like at that point in time, being at Google, like uh, not wanting to leave the headquarters. I could also understand uh, that perspective as well. I wanted to be in the mix of it all. Before the show, we, we chatted a little bit about like sort of the direction we wanted to take uh, today. And uh, I think uh, like hearing your experience and uh, seeing the different companies that you've led in the past, uh, we 
we stumbled upon sort of the concept of alignment and uh, setting vision and strategy and uh, overall just um, how you can bring your team along with you uh, on the journey that you're trying to take as a company. And I think yeah, this is one of the most critical components, in my uh, opinion, of how to actually tackle churner retention is like when you have a really yeah. strong alignment within the company, within the team, when people know yeah. the direction they're heading and why. Um, it, it just makes things so much easier and you really see the biggest uh, compounding impacts from there. So today I want to dive into that with you. Uh, I, sure. I'm pretty sure you have some amazing stories to share as well uh, and working with uh, some cool mentors. So where do you get started as a leader? Like um, either coming into a new company or starting a company, uh, how do you go about sort of setting that initial foundation down that sets you up for success yeah. in the long run? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, if I have to think about and reflect upon my career journey, um, you know, part of, I, I grew up in, in, in Canada, as I said, I, I was a really, fairly poor student um, early on. And, and I, I learned most of what I learned in life through playing team sports. Um, so I have a fairly aggressive mindset and, uh, and also really believe in curating a team experience. And, you know, so, so I, I give that as backdrop because early in my career, I was very, you know, I, I was almost, you know, fire, you know, ready aim, um, which sounds great, right? And we talk about and celebrate that as, as, a, as a, you know, biased action and so forth as a strength and it is. But really I share that because over the course of my career, I find that the time I spend when I, when I enter into a new role um, to, to, to listen and learn is, has grown, right? So the half-life on listening and learning and asking questions before making, you know, decisions. Um, it has grown. And then the other, the corollary of that is that on the other side, the half-life of taking action shrinks. But again, that's a, that's a spectrum. So I think that where do you get started? You ask, but you start by asking a lot of really good questions, right? I think great leaders ask great questions. Great leaders have insatiable curiosity, right? Coupled with drive and coupled with humility to basically not take yourself too seriously, but really question things, but then be decisive when needed. Um, but really the first foundational layer is to understand what is and to you talk about alignment if you don't have a, a common view of what the problem you're solving is or i'm a big fan of the jobs to be done theory like what job are you hired to do in this world right and, and like if you don't have a clear understanding of that it's really really difficult right is this a hyper growth situation is this a turnaround is this you know what is this do we have product market fit, right? Do we understand the physics of our business, right? By asking a series of questions, you can start to really like dial in and get a higher resolution understanding, at least of the problem that's, that's there to be solved. Um, we can talk a little bit about alignment because, you know, often people get confused about which direction they're going and it makes it very difficult to be aligned. But then once you are aligned, how do you stay there? How do you orchestrate a team or a group of people an individual to inspire them around a mission, but keep them more or less aligned on the journey um, as, as hard as that is. So, but, but it, you know, the first thing first is this foundational understanding of what problem it is you're, you're solving. We can, we can add some other nuances to this as, as the conversation goes. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and I think like the jobs to be done framework, you often hear it in the context of like, what a job are your customers hiring you to get done and how can your right. product adapt to that? But right. uh, obviously right. the same does apply with your actual job that you get hired uh, to do at a company and uh, how that yeah. changes over time. How do you see those those jobs changing as well? So obviously coming into in the beginning, it's really trying to understand uh, what yeah. you're hired to do. Um, those things shift and change over time. And um, how do you go about sort of evaluating at which point in time, which job is the most important and then uh, applying? 
Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I think that, um, I think that great companies build in reflection and they build in comfort with um, like feedback of all forms. And I think that I don't think there's one size fits all to do to make sure that you're you're on the, the right path. Um, but you can use metrics. You can use, you know, this is why you have to hire people who feel comfortable sharing their perspectives, who, are, who share that curiosity I was describing earlier to basically question, are we on the right on the right path? and revisit it both qualitatively and quantitatively, right? Ultimately, your customers will tell you um, either through, you know, words or even more importantly, actions. Like they'll tell you whether you are on the right path. The harder questions in my mind are, you know, when do you need a second act, right? When do you need to do things that the customers aren't going to tell you? And those are, those are subjective, um, but really, I think great companies do have, figure a way to have second and third acts as, as, as they go. It's very, very difficult to do that. Um, but again, I, I think it, the, the bigger challenges that I tend to see are lack of clarity, right? And lack of cohesion as a starting point for, for, um, for you know, how you build, build out a company and how, to, how, how do you know who to hire? How do you know which, you know, which, which parts of, your, of the customer you know, segments to, to go after, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of downstream questions from that. Downstream. Let's jump into that in a little bit more detail. So you come into a company first step sort of really is just like trying to listen trying to understand trying to see what sort of job you're being hired to uh to do you then sort of notice that there's no real clarity in the direction like what are some of the things that you want to be doing with the teams uh when you're joining to to provide that clarity and to get everybody onto the same page yeah um I've been fortunate to, to learn from a lot of different folks and ask a lot of questions and read read as, as much as I can. And you know, one, one of the things that resonated with me, and I, I was fortunate to, to have a friend who knew Jeff Wiener, and he introduced me and had a, a very short period of time with Jeff. And I asked him for, for advice um, in a leadership capacity. And one of the things that I didn't quite grok at first, he, he, he told a story about launching a rocket, right? And you think about launching a rocket, right? if you're off by a couple of inches, when you launch a rocket, right? By the time it gets into orbit, you're off by miles, right? So it's really a, a bit of a quick way to summarize the importance of being aligned. And what, what Jeff had recommended and I have adopted, and if I want to give proper credit to a fantastic leader like Jeff, is he talked about you know, all the way from vision to values. And practically what you do is you get your team, leadership team, away somewhere to basically get clarity. It doesn't have to be perfect, and some things to your point will change over time, but you have to start the vision. Like, what is the North Star? What is the dream? What is the aspiration for this company? What is the raison d'etre for the company? Um, what does that translate to in terms of a mission? Vision is, is the dream. Mission is something that is eventually solvable and will, you know, will, you're achievable rather. Um, it should be audacious, but it should be achievable. All the way down, what's your strategy to achieve that? What are the objectives at any one point in time? What are the, the rank ordered priorities? You know, what are the, what truly are your values and what's the culture you aim to, to shape and create as a company? You know, he literally spells that out. And I'm a big fan of doing the same thing. So as a company, if you can't answer those questions, and it seems overly precise and prescriptive, but if you can't get the team away, at least agree to a straw man of that, then that's where I would suggest you start. You know, really prescriptive, really clear on a page, maybe two. Um, but that, that's where I'm a big fan of, of that. 
Um, a related part, just to build on it, is is the Amazon working backwards piece, right? Where you can basically go into a, you know either from customers or a future state, a future positive state, right? Pick pick three, four, five years, whatever the time horizon happens to be, and then you know write the press release from that time frame. I I, I am a big fan of doing something similar to to inspire the art of what's possible. So those are two practical things, right? Get clarity on vision to values, get out of the office, get the team together. If the team is, is available, um, make it so. And then, you know, really start to think about what's the art of possible in the next two, three, four or five years, and then write that in the present tense uh, as a press release. I like that. Looking at it from both uh, sides uh, to get to the same place. Yeah. Let's go into a little bit like specifics on this and maybe if you can speak to some examples uh, of them. So um, you talk down, you talk from the top, like really having this vision of uh, this grand vision of what a future tomorrow looks like. And then the mission yeah. is something more attainable and uh, over a time period. And then off the back of that sort of strategies and whether it's using frameworks like OKRs um, or the like. Maybe talk us through an example of one of the companies that you've been at and what the vision was that was set, what are the mission uh, that you put in place and how did they all connect the dots? Yeah, um, I'll give you I'll give you just a quick taste of three three examples um, and I'll dive maybe into the, to some, of the, some of the work that we did at, up in, in Canada with Google. Um, uh, so so like, some of my favorite examples are and when Stuart Butterfield was launching Slack, right? It was the famous pivot from TinySpec um, to become Slack. I mean, you know, really starting with with just a, you know, I, I love, I love, love, love the, the the launch memo that he leaked to the world after he'd, he'd sent it to things. You know, we don't sell saddles around here. Um, is 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 probably the best like example of clarity on vision and clarity on why. Like, what's the raison d'etre for this thing? Like, why the hell do we exist in the first place? Um, that's that's a great one. Um, a lot of time at Evernote was really rediscovering the original uh, purpose of the company, right? Now, companies sometimes can get off a little bit off track. So that was an exercise of rediscovering, you know, this remember everything, this digital extension of one's brain, um, and then really reinterpreting what that meant for the time frame. But um, I'll, I'll double click on, on Canada. And, you know, one of the things I learned um, again, you learn through mistakes. I'd had about four or five years of experience at Google at that time. I think I, I felt like I had a good grasp on the core product of search and how to build a team that, that really knew what they're talking about around it. Um, and then when I, I came to a new market and a new opportunity, um, it was different and it needed, it didn't require the same playbook, right? Often leadership is about knowing when to keep things and when to throw them away and when, when to learn and unlearn things. And that was certainly the case here. And, but I didn't know that. Right. And uh, I, I thought I was new, 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 everything. And, you know, are, are I great? Um, and set, set the goal for the, for the company up in Canada to say, you know, we're going to turn this into a billion dollar business in two years. And I, as I, that's, that's the goal, right. That's the goal. And, you know, and, and my, my CFO at the time, um, you know, she, she was very happy. Uh, everyone else was like, okay, this guy is either not very good at math, uh, partially, partially crazy, or maybe both actually. And when I reflected upon it and got and literally truly listened to the feedback, it was that that's not a mission. That's a financial objective. Okay. And it's important to have financial objectives, but really when you start to think about where we landed, you know, we landed on something which will sound fluffy and hokey, but I'll tell you, it unlocked a different sense of creativity and meaning and said, listen, how do we make the web work for Canadians and Canadian small businesses? Okay, like 
our goal was like at this time, the web was this mysterious thing for many people, right? How do we make it simple? How do we make it work for them as opposed to the other way around? Again, that sounds fluffy and so forth, but it really meant things. It meant things like, gosh, how do we help small businesses get online, right? So we were one of the first countries um, on the globe to basically give websites and give like, you know, uh, listings away to, to small businesses who didn't have them. Um, you know, and then and do sessions to teach them about this thing called digital. You know, it's, it's how we worked with government at the time, how we worked with, you know, businesses, of course, to, 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 to experience some of the Google products, but it, it was a mission that transcended the business objective and boy, did it unlock a different energy. So often people get caught up in like very specific and overly precise financial metrics and so forth um, at the risk of basically not, not unleashing the, the broader dream of, right? Really like, you know, in, in the Valley gets this right most of the time, sometimes it carries, gets carried away. Um, but I, I do think that striking that balance where people can see in themselves a part of a greater mission, something that is worthy of, uh, of the hard work and, and sweat and tears that comes with doing anything important in this world. Yeah, definitely. It, it makes a huge impact. I think sometimes I see the mistakes being made in this area where you try to be too uh, too much and try to yeah. attach too much of a mission to something that's just not there. And I think yeah. striking that balance, which would make sense for the business and the service and the product you do uh, yeah. with actually what you deliver at the end of the day is really important as well, because definitely I've seen startups try to attach this like grand uh, vision and mission to their businesses, but really there's no substance there. And uh, yeah, yeah. How do you like make sure that you keep on track when it comes to these sorts of things and that uh, while you're going through this process and brainstorming that actually you, you're being a little bit more realistic and uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think there's, 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 there's a variety of ways. I think that um, you know, surrounding yourself with great people is, is, is the single best um, answer I can give to you on this. So whether that's advisors, whether it's board members, whether it's, whether it's, whether it's your team, especially your team, Right. I think that teams need a nice mix of people who are mavericks and misfits. And you know, I think the, the mavericks are the people that will push you, you know, and the misfits will push you into this territory. And then you need a, a dose of like realists, right, to kind of bring you back down to like to, to earth. And I think in the push-pull debate um, that, that, um, that, that happens when those are real, honest and open discussions, they're grounded in trust um, and really wanting to do what's right for the company wanting to truly make a difference in the world, not to say you are and then fake it. Um, I, I think that those are the, the, that's the best way, you know, really the, you know, the rock tumbler the that, yeah, that, that, that Steve Jobs talks about, right. Putting this, this kind of gnarly, you know, jagged rock in it, you know, tumbling and through that rock, it, it, it emerges in a few days and it's very smooth. Um, I like that metaphor where you kind of, you're, you're debating um, and discussing and then ultimately agreeing on, on a direction and clarity for the company yeah and definitely having that good mix of personalities uh, yeah. helps a lot uh, and sometimes i think it's it's quite a challenge like i know for myself like i've noticed my own personality uh, i tend to be good at selling ideas which is a blessing and a curse uh, because sometimes you end up selling really really bad ideas and people buy into them <laughs> and just having really good strong people around you that trust and they can call you out on your bullshit yeah. and just say like that's yeah. a load of crap like <laughs> let's yeah. get back on track and uh definitely uh, having good people on the team makes a difference yeah 
Also, like the fact that you mentioned as well, like coming into uh, Canada and just trying to replicate the same playbook uh, is not, yeah. uh, it doesn't always work. It doesn't cut it. And I mean, there's been countless mistakes made. I think JC Penny is probably one of the more famous ones uh, with Ron Johnson and trying to replicate the same strategy. How do you sort of identify um, what is going to work and what is going to not? Like when moving into new markets, when trying to open up, and uh, how did you sort of understand at that point in time that it just wasn't going to fit? Like, what were the flags that you saw um, that said this yeah. is not just going to be a replicating the US and the in Canada? Yeah, like uh, go talk to the customers, right, or the potential customers. Is there in a different place? And and there's a structurally different market. Um, the, the, the sophistication at the time was different thereafter. So ultimately get out of the building and talk to people, right, is, is the answer. Um, and, you know, that, that was, that was how, that's really what, what helped us. Like, so we, we had a different, slightly different go-to-market motion even, like in terms of how we organized and, and, and what we talked about with customers. Um, Canada has, um, you know, multicultural. So we had a, you know, a French Canadian part of our business, which was, you know, way like, you know, Google at the time, if you think about it, even still, I'm sure this is true. I, I haven't been there for a long time, but no, it basically mirror your business tends to mirror the population. Right. So in other words, if um, if a certain group of the population in this case, um, Quebec, right, about about a, about a quarter of the population you know, live in live in Quebec and um, have speak a different language for the most part. Um, and we we had it we had like less than five like was like five to seven percent of our business was coming from that region so it's like why is that right when you really start asking a few whys you start to say well like okay we don't like, we don't have this thing called youtube right um the product feature set was like very limited so oftentimes it's very basic like that where it's like okay like these are things that are like successful we know they're successful and they're just not there oftentimes that is the case either you're just missing something or you're really metaphorically speaking a different language to to a customer that just doesn't doesn't grok it right so either you're missing the product or you're talking to 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 the customer or you're interacting with them in a way that they don't understand um so big fan of getting out of the building asking um asking folks and then you know mixing again experiences like part of part of the experience i had by bringing people from all over the world was was like that's one way to get at it right it's not just comparing to two things, but comparing to 10, right? And then you can mix them together to say, you know, what is the right optimal mix of things that we've seen elsewhere? What are the things we can discard? What are the things that we double down on? So um, that, that's, that's been a formula for success, but curiosity, asking questions, you know, getting, you know, getting away from just the internal speak um, so you can get there. Yeah, and we talked about this all, like having the what and the why. Uh, so it's yeah. not enough just to look at data and look at analytics and understand, okay, there's an opportunity, yeah. but really uh, understanding why there's an opportunity and what are the customers saying and getting out. Uh, we talked about that. I'd add a third, third, third thing is how, right? So, so why, you know, what, and then how you do things, right? Like the actual experience, whether that's how you deliver and go, go to market, how you deliver this experience, the polish that you put to the product itself, different parts. I mean, these things are really important. So they have to come together in a comprehensive way to basically, you know, really deliver something meaningful and differentiated. Yeah. So we set out a mission at Google Canada to like, uh, how is Canada going to get online? How small businesses going to take advantage of this uh, new trend? Yeah. What came next from there? How did you sort of get the team then on the same page? Uh, how were different teams within the organization aligning themselves to that mission and how did everybody know that they're actually contributing to to the bottom line? 
Yeah, yeah, we, we call it One Team Canada, and, and it, 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 it again, sounds hokey, but it, it meant something to us, right? It meant, gosh, a pride in the place, right? So we had, Canada has such phenomenal talent, right? And it's just been such a heartening, you know, for, for me, it's such a wonderful thing to see and watch Canada grow into its potential as, as a technology, you know, leader, um, you know, 10, 10 to 15 years ago. You know, RIM was the thing, and then you know, very little else was happening. There was Nortel and RIM. RIP. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, still, still um, uh, bump along. But you've got things like Shopify, and you got a thriving AI ecosystem in Toronto and elsewhere. Um, so it's just just been amazing. Um, but but uh, really, I, I think it was how do we activate all parts of the of the company in the country? So we we, we expanded all four offices. And we would do things like when we did localization, right? Often localization is a very, you know, boring kind of like translation or lowest common denominator thing, right? Where it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. We want to take this product from one, one country or, you know, set of countries and bring it to others. And, and sure enough, there's, there's ample, uh, there was ample uh, amount of that. But what we started to do, um, I'll give you an example of YouTube, right? We just like, we just basically took the YouTube, you know, um, code from basically, France and stuck it into Quebec at least to start. Something was better than nothing, right? Um, the other things we did were you know, start to think about not just the Canadian business, but the global business. So very specific example, we did a hack day and uh, we basically uh, did a job exchange to start the, the hack to say, look, let's engineers come on, come on some of the commercial conversations with partners and with potential customers or customers and then vice versa. And out of that came, boy, it's really hard to start an ad campaign on Google. Um, so a group of people, small group of people, basically reinvented the front end of AdWords, which like used to take 15 minutes if you knew what you're talking about. They got it down to two or three. Um, and that was an example of like just from spending time with a small business who just didn't really understand what they were doing and, and the product was needlessly complicated. A small little team went away for three weeks, reinvented it, and then you know, sold it to through the headquarters. These are examples of how you start to activate. You really, you know, it's one thing to say things, but then you have to have to get some to some some wins and some skins on the wall, so to, so to speak, so that you can basically start to, to, to create the flywheel of success where people can start to see, oh boy, this is these aren't just words. This is about velocity. It's about being clear on the direction we're going to go and then speed of execution against them. You put those two together and you get velocity. Yeah, it's so important to have those wins and like to keep momentum running. Uh, I think once you yeah. start to lose momentum, things get very, very difficult after that. So. Indeed. Let's fast forward then a little bit now to today at Glean, uh, coming in as your role, sort of chief business officer. What yeah. are you currently responsible for? And how did you get where you are today at Glean? Like, well, I can see some connection in the dots, but uh, I think it's better to hear it from yeah. your side. Yeah. yeah, sure. So um, I'm, I'm happy to. So my, my role is just basically Arvin, the founder, is, is an incredible leader. You know, he, he had um, incredible track record at Google, at just doing a engineer um, as a search engineer. So he's technically in, in, in very deep. Uh, he and a group of uh, um, three other co-founders created something called Rubric. And then two or, two or three years ago, uh, he was bothered by um, bothered by the problem that we aim to solve. When he was basically doing employee surveys. As many companies do, right? What's what are the things that you like about work? What are the things that are detracting from your experience? And one of them was like the inability to find information, right? I don't have the tools and information I need to do my job. And this is where, you know, he went out to survey the market, 
and say, hey, is there a good solution to this? And the answer is no, there's not. There's been superficially similar attempts in the past, including Google, by the way, who've tried to, to solve this problem. But it's a, it's, a, it's a huge problem that's only growing and it's largely unsolved. Um, so that's really like the backdrop. And to give you a little bit of context, like I, I'm always a, a fan of the future of work. I'm a fan of productivity. Obviously, I spent some time at Evernote, and that was really a, an appeal. I'd use that product. I still use it to this day. Um, I really, you know, I'm really curious about the tools that we use at work. I'm, I'm a fan of saying, like, if I can make, if you can make a company slightly more productive in a certain area, the, the, the force multiplier in that is huge. So I, I had proclivity to this problem, a curiosity about the problem. Uh, one, of, one of the things I, I wrestled with at Evernote was this concept we called OmniSearch, right? And one of the vision was, gosh, we need to make this thing more powerful when used with others in other applications. What if we could basically have surface area, uh, let Evernote be the surface area of connectivity through APIs to different applications that people choose to use in their workforce. And then we'd have the ability to search across all these things, we'd call it OmniSearch. Um, so I, we've been toying with that. And then I was doing a back channel reference for a former uh, actually Evernote employee with, uh, with one of the investors. And we had a perfectly lovely conversation and I asked the investor, hey, <laughs> like what else is interesting in your world? I just have a lot of respect for him as, a, as a, an investor and leader. And he mentioned this, this was called CEO at the time. And I got to know Arvin, I got to know the problem. And boy, the problem is bigger. In COVID it's grown as we've adopted SaaS applications. You know, the ability to find work and the stuff that we need to do our jobs has become really difficult and we're wasting too much time. So. I, I really love the problem. I love the mission that we're, we're on. Um, and the team that's been assembled here, back to the, the point I was making earlier about the team. I mean, the technical team in particular, um, at the time, it was mostly like 90% technical, 95% even. I mean, these are, these are incredible engineers who really were putting to, to work the latest and greatest technologies and the metrics on the engagement. You know, really talk about retention, like, you know, the engagement at the end user level for this product is unlike anything I've ever seen before. So that's what led me to here. And I, and I also think it can have a, an impact by partnering with Arvin and the rest of the team to build something very special, like an enduring company. So that's that's the that's the short story. Very cool. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, as you say, it's, an, it's a super interesting space. Nobody's really quite cracked it yet. And I think yeah. like with the acceleration of COVID and remote work, it's only going to grow over time. And uh, somebody's going to uh, at some point. Yeah, it's just bizarre. Like if you just think about it at the simplest level, right? Why do we have this thing called Google, right? That saves, say, like it provides information at our fingertips anywhere and anywhere. Um, and, and like we go into work and when we're being paid to do our jobs, like we, the tools that we use are materially like suckier than the, the consumer versions that we use in our day-to-day -day life. And it just, it just, it needs to be solved and it will be in, yeah. You know, we're early on our journey, but but um, you know we we've we've been fortunate to attract you know the, the Octas and many many other uh, awesome awesome companies uh, who are who are loving our product right now. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean this is one of this is the problem that I, I like chose to go after with my new company as well, Avrio. Like uh, not specifically uh, what Glean does, but really around like user research, data analysis. Like how yeah. can you centralize this information? It's typically scattered over a bunch of different tools and services. And exactly, um, yeah. like it, it doesn't make sense uh, the way we work today. And uh, there, no. there is a very, very big need for like uh, this space to emerge now and to really help become the hub uh, for work. And I think Glean looks like a very, very promising uh, take on it as well from what i've seen over the last few days yeah thank you yeah we think so we're yeah a lot, lot, lot more work to be done but um you know that coupled with the technology and ai advances has really unlocked i think magical experiences and 
you know, we're, um, we're fortunate to have some good customers who, who agree with us. Very cool. I see we're running up in time. So I want to save uh, for a couple of questions that I ask every guest uh, that joins yeah, the sure. show. Let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now. You join a new company, churner retention is not doing great. And the CEO comes to you and says, hey, Chris, like we really need to turn things around. Yeah. We have 90 days to do it. You're in charge. Uh, what do you do? But the caveat is you're not going to tell me that I'm going to go speak to customers, understand what the biggest pain point is and start there. You're just going to take a playbook that you've seen that's been effective in one of your past companies and run with it blindly, hoping that that is going to solve the problem uh, that this company has. What would you do? Yeah, this, this is, was not hypothetical. This was the situation at Evernote, to be clear. And it's funny you say 90 days. Like we base, I, 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 you know, Often when you think about impact, you think about things that have big impact and little impact. And then you think of things that are hard to do and easy to do. And what I, what I did in this situation, um, and Evernote was in, it was in a pretty tough position at this time. It was, it was like in 90 days, I want to see movement across these things. And, and it's not about big swing. Uh, really, it's easy. Let's go for easy things. And you mentioned turning attention. Um, we had a leaky bucket problem, right? So we had a lot of things. So a lot of where we, we got the most amount of traction in the first 90 days was basically the very bottom of the funnel. It was very obvious things, so the very best known best practice. So I'll give you a very specific example. Um, at the time, the United States was was um, was swapping out regular credit cards with chip and pin, right? Standard most of the world, but it was it was you know, late adoption thing. So so what was got happening was people who were paying customers. Of, of, of Evernote at the time, were using a credit card, the bank changed their credit card number, right? And we hadn't figured out the, uh, how to update that, automatically update the, the change, right? The customer didn't want to churn. Um, so that would be one example. And we strung together like five or six of those little examples. And guess what? In 90 days, we basically moved the retention or the churn numbers by, by like two or three points. It was not, like it was not trivial and, and on a large business. Had yep. such a huge effect. Huge so, so, like, so I'm a big fan actually of like comp sometimes compressing the time frame, and saying, look, it's not about swinging for the home run. I just want a bunch of singles and maybe even a bunt. But let's just show how we can execute against a very tact, a very um, uh, tractable problem, and get some, you know, get some small wins. Um, yeah, and, and start building from there. And that credit card one is a big one. I think it's like when you do the maths as well. If it, the typical card expires every two years, doing public math now, but it, it roughly comes to like four percent of every card is churning uh, on a monthly basis. So, uh, yeah. on average, yeah. uh, and. So that's essentially like 4% of churn happening is just not necessary. If you can like sort of solve that yeah. and renew it automatically, um, yeah. it can have a big impact. Last question then. What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Yeah. Um, I, I actually like to say you got you work from churn and retention back. Um, in, in other words, it's not something that you say, you know, we build something, we market it, people use it, and then you worry about churn. It's actually the opposite, right? If, if you think about how growth happens in a company, if you don't have the mindset that says start with churn or retention is a better way to think about it and work your way back. Like, you know, I wrote this, this thing called go-to-market engine and in there we talk about growth maps and I'm fond of drawing growth maps exactly as I just described. So in other words, instead of you know going right to left with a funnel, I actually go the other way around. You start you know right you know, for parts of the world that, that read you know left to right. So you start 
you start with churn and retention activities on the left-hand side of the chart, and you work your way back to activities going the other way. So look, I, I think great companies, you're seeing this with the subscription, I don't need to convince you <laughs> and your listeners, but ultimately, if you don't have churn under control, um, you know, almost everything else doesn't matter. Um, so you have to really start there and work your way back. Yeah, absolutely. I think we talk about this a lot on the show, but uh, if you're building a subscription business and people are canceling the subscription, you're not really building a business. It's just a leaky yeah. bucket. And yeah. But yeah, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Is yeah, there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with, like anything they should be uh, aware of of your work? How can they keep in touch with you? Yeah, I'd be delighted to stay in touch with folks. Uh, I'm reachable in the, in the socials. Um, you know, I think what you're doing is very important. So thank you. And you know, I think it, it is, you know, the other thing I would just encourage people is just to constantly experiment, right? I think part of it, part of it isn't like having the answers, but it's having a framework and a set of like things you're trying to solve for and then understanding the physics of the problem or the business that you're, you're trying to build and then iterating your way um, and being okay with being wrong. You know, the people who take more shots on net are going to be the ones that tend to win um, and have that mindset of, of constant experimentation. Um, I think are, is, is a bit of the hallmark of what I've seen as successful teams and companies. So I mean, maybe as a, as a final thought, that's, that's what I'd say. Very cool. Well, yeah, thanks so much for joining. And for the listeners, we'll make sure to leave all the show notes, any of the mentions uh, today from Chris as well. So if you want to check those out, you can in the show notes. And uh, thanks again for joining. Wish you now best of luck going into 2022. Thanks and you too, Andrew. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.